Welcome to episode 185 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on February 12th, 2022. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is a podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we have some distro news, some gaming news, a little bit of drama, and we'll be checking out the latest release of KDE Plasma with Plasma 5.24. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, Visuex, and by Bitwarden. Before we get started this week, I want to let you know about the Linux Saloon podcast lug slash live stream that happens every week at 8 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And the reason I wanted to bring it up before the show is because if you're watching this live or you're watching the edited version as soon as I publish it, then you will be able to join us live tonight for Linux Saloon because I will be hosting in lieu of Nate because Nate couldn't make it this week. So I will be hosting this week. So if you want to come join us, uh, be sure to do that. I'll have links in the show notes for details of how to join. Up first in the show this week, we're going to talk about KDE Plasma 5.24 has been released. I'm a big fan of KDE Plasma. For those who don't know, I've been using it for the past eight years or so as my main desktop environment. And so every single new release of KDE Plasma, I am always excited about it. So this is no exception to that. Uh, and for those who are interested, you can check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, episode 264, where we actually had Alish Paul Gonzalez join us. Uh, he's the president of the KDE EV. And we had an interview with him about KDE Plasma 5.24 and also his journey as a Linux user and that sort of thing. So if you'd like to check it out, I'll have links in the show notes for that episode of Destination Linux 264. Now, this latest release of KDE Plasma 5.24 is actually an LTS release, which is great because it means it's going to get continued support and more updates and stuff like that. And they also said that that's going to be uh, the next, the last LTS before the switch to Plasma 6, which is great because that implies that Plasma 6 is coming fairly soon, which is awesome. Now, the first thing I want to talk about with this latest version, there's a lot of great things that I want to talk about, but the first thing has to be the overview. The overview is very, very cool. Basically, you can use this overview to manage all of your desktops and your applications and even use KRunner all from the same place, which is fantastic. You can like drag and drop windows from one desktop to another and all sorts of stuff. So I am very excited to play with this. I, I kind of dabbled with it when it was in the development stage, but I am super excited to see the final version or the first published version because, you know, they could always make improvements and and that's what KDE does. They typically find things to improve and then improve it, which is why I'm so excited about every release. Anyway, moving on, I also want to talk about the updates to KRunner itself because KRunner has a new help assistant that has been added for this latest version, and it makes it easier to discover all the awesome features that are in KRunner. Now, KRunner is something that a lot of people aren't aware of, and I actually made a video, uh, like 17 things you didn't know about Plasma, or something like that. I don't remember how I titled it, but it was something like that. And KRunner was one of the most important things to talk about because it has so much power. It can do calculations and unit conversions and Obviously, you can launch applications and a variety of other things. KRunner is awesome. So this is really cool to add this help assistant because it makes it easier for people to find out all the cool stuff that it can do. The next thing I want to talk about is the fingerprint reader support. For example, you can unlock the screen or authenticate applications with your fingerprints 
if you'd like to do so. And there's also been some improvements to Breeze, the design, the theme for Plasma. They've had some visual refresh to improve the look and feel. They've also done some improvements to the accent color system. Now, for those who are familiar with Plasma, there's been, since 5.23, there was already support to do changing the accent colors, but the colors were limited. There's like nine options, I think. And now you can customize it to be any color you want to, which is great. So for if you have if none of those colors fit what you wanted, now you can change it to whatever you want. Also, uh, they've made some improvements to the notifications. So for example, critically important plasma notifications now come with an orange strip on the side to distinguish them from other kinds of messages. This is very important, especially for people like me who have a bunch of different stuff integrated into their notification system. And if you have KDE Connect on your phone connected to your system, you'll get even more notifications because of that and I do, so I have a lot of notifications, so it's really nice to have that clear indication of something being you know, critically important so it's not buried between all the other things that I have. Also, the next thing I wanna talk about is the task manager improvements. Now, they've, they have, they've had this for a while where you hover over an item in the task manager, it pops up a, like a thumbnail tooltip that shows you what's in it, uh, but this is, this is improved, like it's significantly faster to load and that sort of thing, but the thing I wanted to talk about that is that they've added a volume slider to easily control audio for a specific window. You used to have to go into the audio widget inside of the system tray and to change them individually there, which was fine. It's not a big deal. But being able to just quickly do it directly on the tooltip for the application, that's just awesome. So the next thing I want to talk about, and probably the last thing, because this is getting a little bit long, and there's there's tons of stuff. There's so many things that I had to already cut that I didn't want to cut. But there's a lot of cool, like for example, the cover switch transition between alt tab applications that came back for this latest version. Okay, I'm going into the weeds again. I want to talk about Wayland. So they have improved Wayland support, as in support for colors greater than eight bits. Uh, they've also imp heavily improved the virtual reality headset support and with like high improving the performance and that sort of stuff. Also, they have support for drawing tablets and so much more inside of the Wayland improvements. So if you'd like to check it out, KDE Plasma 5.24 is available right now. Now, it's not going to be necessarily available for you depending on your distribution. If you are using Kubuntu, you can probably get it now with the, K the backport system. Uh, if you are using Fedora, you're probably going to get it in like a week or two. If you're using Arch it, or, or opens as a tumbleweed, you might already have it or it might be a couple days. But there's also something called uh, KDE Neon. And this is, sometimes people talk about this distribution as a thing that people should use for getting fast access to the thing. But I just want to make it clear that KDE Neon is a, it's a development system. It's not meant for people to use it. They do have a user edition, which is not good, but it's because it's, it's implying that it's for users and it's not because if you go to their, pro their frequently asked questions, they basically say, this is not a distro. It's a project for building KDE and stuff like that. And they also say uh, in the frequently asked questions that um, they only are focused on KDE and not the core system. And that's a indicator that it shouldn't be used for the regular users. So I just wanted to put that out there because technically you can try out 5.24 now with Neon but it shouldn't be your daily driver. If you just want to try it, feel free to do it. But Neon is meant more for development or just testing and that sort of stuff. It's, it's kind of like Gnome OS, like the chat is saying, uh, and how they do a development thing as well. So anyway, just to put that out there, 
I still think that Neon is cool if you want to try things out. But if you want to do a daily driver, check out one of the other distributions that I mentioned earlier. And if you'd like to try, try learn more about the latest release of Plasma 5.24, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about KDE Plasma 5.25 because that's coming, you know, in about four to six months. Uh, first of all, I want to, the reason I'm talking about it is because there is actually an announcement that KDE Discover is getting a redesign. This is great news because uh, functionality-wise, Discover has a lot of great features, but the UX does need a bit of work. So I'm glad to see this being done for the next version of Plasma. And Discover's app page has been redesigned with a better aesthetic and just a usability overall. I'm showing that in the visuals of the the uh, there's of the video right now, but there's also going to be a link in the show notes if you want to check out more details and the different versions of what the design is going to be. And there's also a lots a lot more stuff coming in terms of being a redesign. I look forward to seeing what comes from this effort between now and Plasma 5.25. Up next in the show, Intel joins RISC-V International. So the Intel Foundry services already kind of basically tried to get Sci-5 as a customer, and there were even those talks last year of Intel reportedly trying to acquire Sci-5. Uh, while today, Intel has announced it's joined the RISC-V International as its latest move around the open source processor uh, inst instruction set architecture, or ISA, that is RISC-V. So Intel joining RISC-V, an international organization, as a premier member. This move is part of Intel's continuing investment into the, the open RISC-V architecture. Now, Intel already has RISC-V-based NEOS V, NIOS V processors? I don't know. What this means for long-term plans for RISC-V, we'll have to wait and see. But personally, I hope this, help, this, this helps towards the adoption of RISC-V. Because the, the open source nature of RISC-V is more and more critical these days. And the more companies getting on board, the faster they will become, you know, basically get, come to the consumer market at an affordable price range. They already th are there sort of in consumer, but they're not, you know, they're kind of pricey. So I hope that this improves that. Uh, Intel also announced several immediate RS, uh, RISC-V uh, community benefits led by the Intel Foundry Services. So they say that they will sponsor an open source software development platform that they say will allow for freedom in experimentation. And they're going to be actually putting quite a bit of money towards this effort. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. They also added that the IFS strategy will provide a broad range of leadership intellectual property uh, optimized for Intel process technologies. IFS is the only foundry, this is their statement, IFS is the only foundry to offer IP optimized for all three of the industry's leading ISAs, uh, x86, ARM, and RISC-V. Uh, they say that Intel has also has already seen strong demands from Foundry customers to support more RISC-V IP offerings. And in order to help this, they have announced to, that they are going to do a $1 billion funding to help build a Foundry innovation ecosystem. So this is quite a lot. If you're interested in checking it out, I'll have more details in the links below uh, related to RISC-V and what Intel is doing. Up next in the show is the latest release of Mozilla Firefox with Firefox 97 being released. Now, there aren't a lot of big changes in this release, but there are some improvements and enhancements of the underlying core, such as improvements to performance, uh, security, and privacy. Now, of course, security and privacy is a big thing for Mozilla Firefox, so it is always nice to see that. 
But there are some other things like from front end kind of stuff with uh, there's six new colorway themes. Uh, this is for people who would like to customize the look and feel of Firefox, but they want to do it in like a minimal way so they can just install these themes. Now they have started expiring themes for some reason. Uh, so some 18 different colorway themes that were from Firefox 94 have been expired. Why? I don't know. Uh, but whatever. Uh, so if you want to check out these the colorway themes and you know save them so they yours don't expire. Anyway, <laughs> they've also done improvements to the precision CPU data inside of the About Processes Manager on Linux platforms, which makes it just better to see like how the CPU is being used by Firefox. So that's nice. They've also done some improvements to the uh, built-in screenshot tool. Uh, they've added a retry button in case something goes wrong or that you want to just have a multiple of the same exact thing you did. Uh, there's also benefits from some refinement to the picture-in-picture uh, -picture handling. Also, there's been lots of improvements for uh, security fixes. And if you are a web developer, there's been a lot of related changes for that. There's been a lot more. And there's also been a little bit of drama around Mozilla and their dealings with advertising and Facebook because there was a blog post that was announced just a couple days ago. Uh, and this news just came out fairly recently, so I didn't have time to cover it uh, in depth. Actually, I think it was yesterday. Uh, so I don't have, I didn't have time to cover it in depth, but we will be tackling this topic on the next episode of Destination Linux tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time, uh, live at dealinglive.com. So if you'd like to know what I think about this particular piece, then be sure to join us live tomorrow for Destination Linux. And if otherwise, if you want to check out the latest release of Mozilla Firefox 97, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into the DigitalOcean with their new app platform service to help you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. The app platform can help you build, deploy, and scale apps and aesthetic websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting for you. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images, all of this is supported on the app platform. And by running the app platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your cost significantly lower than with other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. And as a listener of this This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the daily community, you can get started for free, actually better than free, because if you go to do.co slash DLN, you can get a $100 free credit when you sign up. So again, go to do.co slash DLN to get a $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is the latest release of Inkscape, which is 1.1.2. Now, this latest release is pretty much just bug fixes and stuff like that, but there's also a lot of exciting stuff coming in the next version, which is 1.2, and this one has already available as an alpha, so if you would like to test it out, you can do so right now, but keep in mind, it is an alpha. So for those who may not be familiar with Inkscape, Inkscape is a free and open source vector graphic drawing program and editor. Now, I have been using Inkscape on and off for many years, but I've never been like fully in-depth in using it day-to-day. -day. So I have decided that I will be trying out this latest version get in the terms of testing for 1.2 because I'm very excited, excited about what they have planned for these next releases. Uh, but one of the big changes for 1.2 that they're planning to bring is multi-page. 
So it's now going to be possible to have multiple pages in one document. This allows the importing of multi-page PDF documents and modifying them. And it's also integrated with the new and improved export dialog, which is nice. And I think that's going to be very, very powerful for people who want to have multi-page uh, projects that they can build on. And because right now you have a single page. Now, it's kind of interesting because with vector graphics applications, especially like Inkscape or Illustrator, they have this canvas that has this page system. And a lot of the time, people people who are professionals in this in this space will completely ignore what that page is and have stuff all around this ma massive canvas and the thing that's different is that the the only time that that page matters is when you are wanting to actually save it render it out and have something that's visible because otherwise it's not visible except inside of whatever editor you're using so uh, it's nice to be able to have the multi-page thing because now you can still do that massive work stuff but have it where you can actually render out multiple things. So that's very nice. Also, additionally, there, the color palette has been improved. There's no more endless scrolling for selecting colors. They have a new menu providing the uh, palette previews, multi-line palette views, and also they've made it where they've enhanced the scrolling through rows system instead. There's also been a lot of other improvements, like there's new snapping guides, uh, there's new improvements for dithering to reduce banding artifacts, new gradient panel, uh, edible markers and dash patterns, uh, con configurable toolbar, and many more new customization options. Also, of course, they've done some bug fixes and that sort of stuff. So like I said, it's been a while since I tried my hand at real in-depth look at Inkscape. So I'm going to test, test drive in preparation for 1.2. So if you'd like to learn more about it and join with me in the test, then check out the links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Open Mandriva LX 4.3. This is the latest stable version, and it's an independently developed desktop Linux distribution. For those who are not familiar with Open Mandriva, it has it's been in the it's basically from the legacy history of like Mandrake and Mandriva, and then Open Mandriva became a thing uh, along the same same lines as when Magia did it. Uh, this latest version of Open Mandriva uh, 4.3 has Linux kernel 5.16.7, uh, Plasma Desktop 5.23.5, and most importantly, the thing that I'm most interested about it is that Pipewire has become the default sound server. That's right. So Pulse Audio is still going to be available in the repository if someone wants to use just Pulse. But Pipewire is going to be now the default sound server, which is great because more and more distributions adopting Pipewire is, is better because then we get more and more work and testing done for Pipewire. And Pipewire is awesome because it has the benefits of Pulse and Jack at the same time. For those who don't know, Jack is more of like a professional level audio server and uh, having Pipewire means that you get that kind of thing in a much easier approach because you just have it by default rather than having to install Jack, which is a little bit difficult. Uh, doable, but difficult. And having Pipewire makes it a lot easier, which is awesome. Also, OpenMandriva 4.3 introduces a port to RISC-V, which is the open source processor architecture we talked about earlier in the show. And they're working on having it. It's not technically available just yet, but they are working on it as of now with these latest release. It's technically not compatible as like they don't have an ISO right now for the latest release, but there's a lot of improvements based on what they've been working on with this latest 4.3 release. Also, there's been a lot of improvements to uh, the desktop presets, which offer a quick way to customize the appearance of your Open Mandriva 
desktop, like the look and feel, that sort of stuff, which is really nice. They've also done some improvements to the uh, the Open Mandriva welcome utility, which is great because it basically guides you through the initial setup process and that sort of stuff and also suggests uh, useful applications to install if you want to do that, which is very important. As I've talked about in multiple times, distributions that do not have a welcome utility, make one. Int please make one for your distribution. I think they're very important, and I'm really happy to see OpenMandriva has one and is also improving it as they go. And also then a lot of other improvements to this latest release, uh, and as well as having a full 64-bit ARM port now available for this latest release of, of OpenMandriva 4.3, uh, and also many, many more things, including they have support for installable images for uh, not only just uh, Raspberry Pi, which you would expect, but also the Pinebook Pro, the Rock Pi, and many, many more. So if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of OpenMandriva 4.3, then check out the links in the show notes. Oh, also, just real quick, it's not exclusively Plasma, like that's the default desktop environment, but you can also get uh, installs for LXQt, XFCE, GNOME, Mate, even Lumina, IceWM, and i3WM if you want to check those out. And they also added a two new for the latest release. They added Cutefish and Maui Shell. So if you want to check out OpenMandriva for those things, then I'll have those links in the show notes as well. Next in the show is some more distro news, and now we're going to talk about Cubes OS because Cubes OS 4.1.0 has been released. After multiple years of development, Cubes OS 4.1 4.1.0 has been released. We talked about Cubes OS 4.0 in the Latin like episode 26 of Twill, which was uh, quite a while ago. So as soon as I saw that they were bringing another version out, I had to talk about it because those who have not been who are not familiar with Cubes OS. It's pretty cool. So CubesOS is a free and open source security-oriented operating system for single-user desktop computing, and you'll see why that, that matters. Uh, CubesOS leverages Zen-based virtualization to allow for the creation and management of isolated compartments that they call cubes. These cubes are basically um, virtual machines. Uh, so this is really cool because CubesOS is essentially everything is a virtual machine. If you create an application, it's a separate virtual machine. If you create, uh, you know, you can have a special purpose built for like having a couple of things inside of each virtual machine or having one thing inside of a virtual machine. And there's also able to do multiple different uh, base core systems for the different uh, virtual machine templates. So you have options for Fedora, Debian, Hunix, Gentoo, and even Windows. So Cubes OS is very cool. But it requires a rather powerful machine in order to have good performance. The act of using so many virtual machines, it can be an issue for the average level computer. So if you want to try this out, keep that in mind. You do need a fairly powerful computer. Now for this latest release of 4.1.0, they've introduced a GUI domain. And this GUI domain is a a cube separate from DOM0 that handles all display-related tasks and some system management. This, this separation allows you to more securely isolate the DOM0 while granting the user more flexibility with respect to graphical interfaces. Uh, if for those who don't know what this means, I'll have a link to the, to the details of the show notes of releases so you can learn more about what everything here means. They've also added a new uh, QR-exec policy system. I don't know if that's actually supposed to how you say it, but whatever. So this QR exec uh, is a remote procedure call mechanism that allows for one cube to do something inside of another cube, which is very cool because it does make it easier to do 
um, you know, kind of cross data back and forth between different virtual machines or different cubes in this case uh, with this new system. So it'll basically the it allows the uh, policy system to enforce who can do what and where based on what cube can do what to another cube and that sort of stuff. It supports socket services and poly notifica- policy notifications and a lot of things to make it easier to detect problems as well. So there's a lot of cool stuff in Cubes OS in general, and this latest version adds a lot of extra improvements to it as well. So if you're curious about checking out Cubes OS, I'll have links in the show notes. But again, keep in mind, you need a pretty powerful computer to be able to use it in any kind of performant experience. Um, and if you're going to do gaming, I, I have no idea. I, I, I don't expect gaming to be that great inside of Cubes OS. But privacy and security-wise, it's pretty solid. And I like how they describe it as a reasonably secure operating system rather than like, you know, overselling it too much. They just say reasonably secure. So if you'd like some reasonable security, check out Cubes OS, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that lets you have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords for you, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you can access this data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile devices, a desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices as well, which is one of the most important pieces because you know you're the only one with access to your data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. Did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but also you might want to check out their premium accounts because it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. Less than a dollar per month gets you a bunch of extra benefits like one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more, including Bitwarden Send. And they also have business accounts and family accounts. So if you like to help someone in your family get started with password managers, you can help create the account for them and help them teach them to manage it and be able to share passwords back and forth. It's awesome. Check out Bitwarden and make the smart move like many of the community have and get your account today by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, I want to talk about some hands-on hardware reviews that have been put on YouTube for the Steam Deck. So Gamers Nexus, Linus Tech Tips, and others have released hardware video reviews for the Valve Steam Deck. And wow. So I made a joke a couple times about, you know, I should get a pre uh, a prototype version of the Steam Deck and that sort of stuff to do coverage and stuff like that. But after seeing these videos, the amount of in-depth testing they do wowed me and there was no chance I was going to do that stuff so it's very very impressive and the effort involved in these tests they do they do are things like uh like for example gamers nexus did a like a special setup to capture the exhaust profile in a camera for the device's cooling system that's a lot of specific uh testing to be done uh, so these hardware reviews cover things like battery life power consumption gaming performance thermals noise and more and my testing would have been like, well, I played it, it got hot, and then I'd stop playing it, and or like this is how long the battery was, or you know this is how the game played. It'd be a lot less specific. 
<laughs> so there's just there's just no way I could do these videos justice by describing the results that they have uh, in these videos. So I'm just going to leave links in the show notes instead for you to check out if you'd like to check out any of these hands-on reviews. So links in the show notes. On the other hand, I can absolutely give you all the details for Dbrand's new uh, Kill Switch project. This is thing for the Steam Deck. This is basically a, well, I can give you all the details because there's almost no details to give you. But they said in uh, their post about the Project Kill Switch, uh, which, by the way, great name, because Switch, Steam Deck, Kill Switch. Anyway, they say that we've noticed that there aren't many Steam Deck accessories out there, and that's fine. More money for us. Well done. And they also say that much like Half-Life 3, this project is going to take time. But unlike Half-Life 3, it will actually come out. Well done for these jokes, by the way. The kill switch, the, the name is good, like all the... Anyway, they, they give some details about the components for the project, but very, very little details. They say that it's going to have an impact-resistant grip case, built-in question marks, and then three more sets of question marks that I, have, I assume that they're eventually going to tell you details, but right now, that's all we got. So if you'd like to learn more, well, you can't because there's nothing else to learn, but I'll still have a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Up next in the show is the Nobara Project. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I think so. Uh, the goal of the Nobara Project is to take Fedora and optimize it for gamers. So Thomas Kreider, aka Glorious Eggroll, uh, mostly known for the developer of being for being developer for Proton GE or Glorious Eggroll, and also is a member of the Lutris development team and also a senior engineer at Red Hat, is the one behind the new Nobara Project. So. From the, the website talking about like why it was built, uh, Thomas says, uh, and I quote, Fedora is a very good workstation OS. However, anything involving any kind of third-party or proprietary packages is usually absent from a fresh install. Now, I kind of agree with that to some degree. There are some things missing. That's true due to the open-source-centric uh, policy of Fedora. But there are a lot of benefits to use Fedora. But let's, let's get back to the, the quote. Uh, and it says, A typical point-and-click user would have no clue how to get a lot of things working beyond the basic browser and Office documents that come with the OS. And he goes on to say, some of the important things that are missing from it, especially with regards to gaming, include Wine dependencies, OBS Studio, third-party codec packages such as those for GStreamer, uh, third-party drivers such as NVIDIA drivers, and, and so on. Now, this is interesting because, well, I agree with most of this, but the NVIDIA drivers are accessible to install directly from GNOME software, for example. So I don't, I don't know if I would put that in the same category as the rest, but I will say that some things... I didn't expect to need RPM Fusion to do does require RPM Fusion for now. Uh, but I also can say that there is some work being done in Fedora to address some of these concerns as it relates to supporting certain things out of the box, which I'm super excited to talk to you about, but can't yet because it's not happened yet. But I know, anyway, people working on it, and I'm excited for that. Now, with that said, let's talk about the Nobara project again and what the project is aiming to do. So Thomas says that the project aims to fix most of those issues and offer better gaming, streaming, and content creation experience out of the box. More importantly, we want to be more uh, point-and-click friendly and avoid the basic user from having to uh, avoid the basic user having to go to the terminal. Ultimately, I think this is a good goal to have, especially with like not having to use a terminal. That's fantastic, uh, and. In using Fedora as the basis for a more laser-focused experience for a specific use case like gaming is really cool. 
Uh, in my opinion, Fedora is one of the outliers here in terms of like derivatives. Fedora is such a fantastically built distro, yet rarely do you see distros being based on it. Now, I guess back in the day, there was Corora, which was a great distribution that addressed some of the same issues that Nabarro is addressing in this latest uh, project. And I was a big fan of Corora. It had a lot of benefits. Uh, what happened is that kind of Fedora was so open to contributions that most of the developers of Corora became developers for Fedora instead, which made it not really you know, make sense to have the other one too. So it's kind of funny that way. But I do agree with Thomas that Fedora is very good but has some shortcomings, and if other distros were based on Fedora, it would be very interesting to see that kind of thing. For example, I would love to see an elementary OS or Pop OS or something like that based on Fedora because they would get benefit of an updated core while also being able to focus on things that they want to focus on, like user experience. An elementary OS based on Fedora would be so powerful and interesting. And also a Pop! OS, especially since Pop! OS maintain their own kernel and Mesa drivers themselves outside of Ubuntu already, so rebasing on Fedora, they wouldn't have to do that extra effort, and they could make it a lot easier for them to build their own distro. So it's just something I think is would be interesting to see. Anyway, let's go back to the Nabara project. So I think it's very interesting, and it has a lot of potential, especially with it being made by someone like Glorious Eggroll. Uh, but I gotta say, if your goal is to target people who are typical point-and-click users, then I suggest upgrading your website. Because a page of white text on a black background gives a little bit of a sketchy vibe than a point-and-click friendly vibe so you know just there i know it says it's a placeholder for now but just you know in perhaps you should consider contacting our next sponsor visuex this episode of this week in linux is brought to you by visuex visuex is actually my company because so it's brought to you by myself so Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a fancy way of saying that Visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth and convert leads into customers by creating the nice designed experiences for their users and also doing digital marketing for you know getting more traffic and that sort of thing. So Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. Uh, businesses shouldn't settle for good enough when they can contact Visuex and get visual excellence. As a listener of This Week in Linux and a member of the DNA community, you can get started for free and get a free consultation. Plus, let Visuex know, well, me know, us know, whatever, uh, that you heard about Visuex from Twill to receive a 10% discount on your first project. So go to visuex.com slash DLN to get started. And we want to thank Visuex, myself, for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is some distro news. We have Esquelas Linux 7.3 has been released. I don't know if I'm saying it exactly right, but I think I'm close anyway. Esquelas Linux is based on Bodhi Linux, which is a derivative of Ubuntu. And the interesting, about, the interesting thing about Bodhi Linux is that it has its own desktop environment, which is a fork of Enlightenment, uh, which is a Moksha desktop. Although technically, I guess it's still a window environment because it's, it's a fork of Enlightenment. Uh, a fork of E17, I think, if I remember correctly. And this uh, Squalus Linux uses the Moksha desktop, obviously, because it is, a, it is based on Bodhi Linux. It has PCMan FM as the default file manager which has received a variety of improvements with this latest release of Esquelas Linux 7.3. And also, this latest release is available as ISOs for both 32-bit, 64-bit, 
and comes in uh, English and Spanish editions, uh, naturally, as you might assume. Uh, this is an educational distribution for the purpose of you know, helping people in, in inst- like educational institutions and that sort of stuff. Uh, they can have something tailored specifically for this, especially with the Spanish-speaking language part of it. But what's interesting about this latest release is that it has a very late latest kernel, like a really up-to-date kernel. Not the literally the latest kernel, but it has the latest LTS kernel, which is 5.15, which brings support for newer hardware as well as better support for existing devices and that sort of stuff. And to quote them on their latest release, uh, they say that for the first time, Esquelis Linux includes a recent release of the Linux kernel. And this time, it is the 5.15.15 kernel as tested, patched, and packaged by System76, which is really interesting that they were going to take the kernel from System76 work, what they do for Pop! OS, and introduce it into the Esquilus Linux platform, which I'm curious to see how that works out. And if you are too, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Absolute Linux, which is 15.0. Now, Absolute Linux is an interesting distribution because it is designed to be used for home computers and it is based on Slackware. It has the lightweight IceWM window manager with a custom control center. It adds the latest, this latest version as the latest support for LibreOffice. It updates the Firefox browser to the latest stable version as of the release. It might not be now because of Firefox 97 just coming out. Uh, But also, unlike Slackware, it's only made available for 64-bit processors, so it's focused directly on a specific use case. uh, So if you have a 64-bit processor, which you probably do if you have an even remotely current piece of hardware, and want to use it on your desktop system, uh, Absolute Linux might be something that for those who are curious about Slackware but don't want to go the full depth into Slackware, because, well, Slackware is a acquired taste. Let's say that. And Absolute Linux might even be acquired taste depending, but it's a slightly less acquired. If, if you know what that means, then great. If you don't, uh, feel free to leave a comment in the chat or the leave a comment in the live chat or leave a comment on the video when it's published, and we can clarify what that means. But for now, link in the show notes. Up next in the show, and the last topic for today is Twister OS and also Twister UI. We'll get to that in a bit. But Twister OS is for the Raspberry Pi and also other SBCs or single board computers. It currently is only 32-bit for the Raspberry Pi, so it's not like like as we talked about previously. The Raspberry uh, the Pi, Raspberry Pi OS has now 64-bit, so it's not exactly that. Maybe in the future they might upgrade that for 64-bit, but for now it's a 32-bit only for the Pi. Now, there's what's interesting about the Twister OS is that it comes with 11 different user interface themes. So it's kind of built to be a, a desktop-oriented uh, experience for the Raspberry Pi. So, uh, but it also has like a lot of interesting approaches to what kind of interface you can have. So if you want to have something that's similar to Ubuntu, you can get that. If you want to have one that's custom to their own, you can have that. There's also support for Windows 11, Windows 10. Um, Also, if you want to have it Mac related, you can do that as well. But more interesting, you can have it for Windows XP and even Windows 98 if you want it to look like that for some reason. You can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> also, it comes with uh, Box86, which is an emulator to use x86 applications on ARM-based devices. And it also comes with Lutris and RetroPry for gaming. So it's kind of in tra- intended to be uh, taking a Raspberry Pi and doing a you know an out-of-the-box experience kind of a- approach, which is really interesting. So for those who want to check that out, links in the show notes. Uh, but also I want to talk about it because of the Twister UI. 
Now, the Twister UI takes the same kind of stuff with the different themes where whether you want to use the Windows 98, XP, 7, um, or Mac stuff or whatever, and you want to make your existing system look like that, you can do that with this Twister UI project. Now, this is interesting because it's only for XFCE, and it's only for three different distributions specifically. I, it might work on other ones, but for the testing purposes, they've only said that these three work. So Linux Mint, Zubuntu, and Manjaro XFCE editions of all of those are the ones that work with Twister UI. So if you use XFCE of any of those and would like to, for some reason, make it look like Windows 98, you could check out Twister UI. Link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between the topics and just hang out every week in the after show, in the, the, the patron-only post show that we do every week after Twill. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm wearing right now at the dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff like we got hats, mug, mugs, stickers, hoodies, so much more, even desk mats and mouse pads and coasters now. There's a lot of cool stuff at dealinstore.com because we actually changed the vendor of what is powering the dealin store. And it's uh, a, we're very happy with the current change. So if you want to check out all the great stuff that's there, dealinstore.com. Also, if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time or 1800 UTC, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinglive.com. Thanks again for watching. My name is Michael Tunnell, and I will see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux news.